here on 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri. I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Friday, April 14th. There's good news for an Ozark amphibian, the hellbender. Missouri Conservation reports a zoo-raised hellbender has successfully reproduced within the current river for the first time. There are currently fewer than 1,000 Ozark hellbenders in the world, so conservationists say this is great news for the species. Local fire departments battled a more than 1,000-acre brush fire in Climax Springs Wednesday. The blaze took six fire departments and the Missouri Department of Conservation four hours to put out. No injuries were reported and no homes were damaged. The weather's heating up, and as summer returns, so do turtles. You may be seeing these slow-moving creatures on the road now, and Missouri Conservation's urging drivers to watch out for them. Many species of Missouri's turtles become more active during the spring as they emerge from their burrows and cross the roads in search of food and a mate. These crossings mean that, unfortunately, thousands of box turtles are killed every year by vehicles. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. A portion of the programming on Key Radio is brought to you by Adair's Wildlife Removal Service, offering affordable solutions for all of your residential and commercial nuisance animal problems. Adair's keeps the wildlife where it belongs, in the wild. Serving Camden, Miller, and Morgan Counties. Online at adairs-animals.com or call 573-378-8739, 573-378-8739. There is a saying that there is no free lunch, meaning there is a cost to everything, even when it appears to be free. Your free account on social media costs you invisible connections to companies trying to sell you stuff. So it is, even with Key Radio, because there are costs to bring you local programming, and we need your help to pay the bills. If you love our purpose, please donate. If you need to use advertising dollars, Key Radio can give you a promotional benefit of sponsorship underwriting. Key Radio features programs in every area of life, politics, business, family, entertainment, education, faith, and media. In Christian circles, we refer to this as the Seven Mountains. We don't relegate any of these subjects to once a week, and we seek content rooted in truth more than opinion. If you have a message to get across, contact Bill M. at OrionCenter.org to talk about how Key Radio can help. This is Bill Munhausen with a Key Opinion. We've just concluded an important milestone in the election cycle, so it's time for a debriefing. Aren't we all just a little relieved? For state and federal candidates, the primaries were unusually contentious. For example, there were no fewer than 21 people vying for Roy Blunt's old job, all within the Republican Party. For U.S. citizen voters, it was not what you'd call edifying, and regardless of who we supported, we're glad it's over. We observed big egos, campaign ads bordering on slander, and manipulative messaging. We've come to expect this, particularly at the national level, and we expect it to continue as the two parties fight it out interminably. But we should feel differently about our local government. Although it was a contentious election here also, it's now time to pull together, because we've seen the enemy, and they are not us. 
For too long, local government has been mostly about economic development and fixing potholes. Those are good things, but we also need to be unified in defending our freedoms locally. At a time when state and federal politicians are more concerned about their rights than ours, we can't afford the luxury of fighting among ourselves. I don't call for unity to dismiss the important contribution of local reformers in refueling things in local government that need to be corrected, but the voters have made their concerns known and have handed the responsibility of government to new leaders. We have a real opportunity in Camden County to make this clean slate a win for everyone. It's going to be hard for the men and women who competed for office or had to defend their positions and lost. It may even be harder yet for those who loyally supported them. Nevertheless, it's time to rise above for the sake of community. Lake of the Ozarks is a special place, an oasis of individuality and freedom that isn't enjoyed in other parts of the country. It can only remain so if we become more united in making local government as just as possible and as committed to keeping its citizens free. I'm Bill Munhausen for Orion Center Expo. It's hard for a Christian to be a Star Trek fan. Star Trek's foundational assumptions are that man is evolving to become more just and that he is the master of his own destiny. Furthermore, the Enterprise crew must never interfere with other species because no matter how bizarre, their beliefs and cultures are just as valid as our own. It's a noble but morally neutral vision. However, Gene Roddenberry didn't get it all wrong. Captain Kirk can't help weighing right and wrong. Even Spock overcomes mere logic and offers the standard blessing. Live long and prosper. There is much to admire in the Star Trek universe. What is missing for a Bible believer, however, is the obvious understanding that a directionless process like evolution can't nurture man toward nobility. A sounder explanation is that mankind is made in the image of a noble creator. These 60-second messages are based on the book XPO by Bill Munhausen, available in Amazon Books. like to become a content provider, simply contact the Lakes Community Radio Station at 89.3, The Key. 807 and welcome in. Good morning. It is a beautiful day to be alive and live at the Lake of the Ozarks or 
Maybe wherever you're listening from this morning, I certainly appreciate your patronage, and thank you for taking the time to check in with us. We've got a great program lined up for you, and we'll get things underway here shortly with our first guest. Her name is Erica Swartz, and Erica is a living Holocaust survivor. She was uh, born in uh, a Hungarian Nazi ghetto in April of 1944, And she will be speaking on behalf of the Concerned Women for America of Missouri and telling us her story. And she'll also have a couple of speaking engagements, one in Springfield, one in Branson. And uh, just so you know, National Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming up uh, Tuesday of next week on April the 18th. April the 18th, that's a Tuesday. Again, probably a good day to reflect. And I would say that uh, this is probably one of those instances where you should take some time. And if you have children or you know children, uh, probably explain to them what the Holocaust is all about and uh, do a little research. Show them just exactly what the Holocaust meant and uh, what it was all about. So we'll be talking with her here momentarily this morning. Looking forward to that conversation. Stephanie Beeman from Firefly Valley Farms will be on the program this morning as well. They've got an event coming up they'd like you to know more about. And our good buddy, the gadfly, Dave Maupin, will be in studio with me this morning to take us on a journey among the dogwoods. Beautiful day right now, 55 degrees in Osage Beach. Sunshine, maybe a few clouds and a high today of 82. A stray shower or thunderstorm possible tonight with a partly cloudy sky and a low of 61. Showers and thunderstorms possible tomorrow afternoon, evening, uh, tomorrow night. We will have a high of 82 and a low of 41. And then for Sunday, some morning showers possible. It is certainly going to cool things down. We'll hit a high of 55 and a low of 40 degrees. Sunny on Monday and a high of 69. And then it looks like a bit of a wet week. We'll uh, get into all of that a little bit later on this morning. Because right now I want to take as much time as we possibly can to uh, talk to our very first guest, and this is truly an honor to be able to speak with someone uh, who lived through all of this. Her name is Erica Schwartz, and she is joining us this morning on The Daily Show. Ms. Schwartz, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to join us. It's uh, great to have you on the program. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, What a life that uh, you have led and certainly uh, from where you started things to where you are today, I know that you've got a couple of speaking engagements next week with the Concerned Women for America of Missouri to talk about the Holocaust. And that is something that uh, you just, you're not going to just talk about it. You've actually lived through it. And uh, I wanted to take the opportunity this morning to, uh, to just allow you to tell us the story because there are so many of us that uh, weren't even around when all of this took place. And I don't think we understand the magnitude of the situation and certainly what it means to be a Holocaust survivor because there weren't a whole lot of people that survived the Holocaust after uh, what happened during World War II. So if you would, please, ma'am, feel free to uh, to start. I know that you were born in a Hungarian Nazi ghetto in April of 1944. If you would like to uh, kind of take us uh, on that journey uh, to where you were as uh, you progressed through your life and to where you are today, it would be an honor to uh, to allow you to have this opportunity to speak with us. Well, thank you. Yeah, my, my favorite part of the story is where I am today, but I'll get to that. Um, yes, 
I, you know, you said I lived through the Holocaust. I did, which is what makes me a survivor. But I have no memories of it. Um, I, as you said, I was born in 1944 in April in a Hungarian ghetto, um, a Nazi ghetto. And um, so I was an infant when the war ended. I was only a year old when it ended. So everything that I know uh, about my family was uh, either what my mother told me or um, the results of research. Um, but the outcome of it all was that I grew up with no family. My mother and I were the only survivors in our family. Uh, my father died um, in a forced labor camp in, uh, I believe it was May, no, it was, uh, I was 11 months old. So it would have been um, in, in March of 1945. Um, I had, my mother had uh, four siblings. Uh, two brothers and two sisters. Um, in May of 1944, just a few weeks after I was born, and I'll explain in a moment how my mother and I survived, but in May of 1944, my grandmother, my um, uh, great-grandmother, and my only three little cousins uh, seven and nine-year-old brothers who were my mother Margit's, my Aunt Margit's children, and a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl who was my Uncle Avram's little girl. Um, all five of them were murdered in, uh, in the gas chambers of Auschwitz. So um, my mother's, uh, well, let me first get, tell you, I, I, I have to explain that when I do my speaking engagements, I have to read it. I have it literally written, and I read it word for word. Um, when I try to tell the story extemporaneously, I'm, I'm all over the place. It's, even though I've been doing this for years, it's very hard. Um, as I said, I was born in the ghetto just one day before it was sealed by the Nazis. My father was in a forced labor camp already. He had already been for several months. And when he got word that I had been born, he somehow managed to escape the labor camp. I never did learn how he managed to do that. But he managed to escape and get to Nietzsche, which is where I was born. He knew that if he could get my mother and I at to Budapest, that there was a possibility that he could buy time for us because the uh, Jews in Budapest at that point were the last ones that were being rounded up by the Nazis. He had learned that the system that the Nazis were using to find all the Jews was to cull through all of the official documents. Um, at that time in Eastern Europe, certainly in Hungary, every document about you had your religion, your birth certificate, your marriage certificate, census papers, everything had your religion. So the rule that the Nazis had in um, rounding up the Jews and putting them in ghettos was that they had to be in the ghetto closest to their official address. 
my parents, before this all started, had been living in an apartment in Budapest. But after my father was sent to the forced labor camp, and after my mother learned that she was pregnant, she went to Niedertasa, where her mother and father lived, and decided to stay with them because she was at that point alone and pregnant and very frightened. So even though I was born in Niedertasa, in, in my grandparents' home, the official rule of the Nazis indicated that my mother and I were supposed to be in the Budapest ghetto because that was still our official address. And my father knew that. He had learned the men in the labor camps uh, pretty much learned a lot of what was going on, even though, amazingly, most of the Hungarian Jews at the time still believed that the um, rumors, and I put that in quotes, of the death camps uh, were just rumors. They couldn't they could not fathom that it was true. But my father believed they were true. He knew the system, and he had papers showing the address of the Budapest apartment. So he managed to get to Nyenedhaza, and somehow, after days, uh, managed to get official papers and permission to take my mother and I out of the ghetto and take us to Budapest. Um, where we were supposed to go to the ghetto that was being built there. At the time that he got us out, my mother's 19-year-old sister somehow managed to escape at the same time. And my mother told me that um, they were on a train taking them to Budapest. And my father whispered to my mother, Olga is on the train to don't don't acknowledge if you see her. And so they we all got to Budapest. My father went back to the labor camp. I mean to the yeah, the forced labor camp because he knew he was being hunted. He had he had escaped and he was did not want to continue to be hunted in case we were found also. So he went back to the labor camp where he died as I said, in March of 1945. Um, when they got to Budapest, my mother and Aunt Olga managed to get forged Christian documents. At that time, Raul Wallenberg and several other diplomats from countries were trying to save Jews by giving them papers saying they were citizens of, um, you know, of their country. So I don't know which forged papers my mother and Aunt Olga got, but um, they managed to get papers saying they were Christian. And with those papers, we were able to get um, an apartment um, and lived relatively safely for about two months in Budapest as two Christian women with a baby. On July 5th, 1944, my Aunt Olga stepped out of the building to get food she was the one that took care of our needs because my mother was in the apartment with, with me. I was just a few months, couple of months old. And as soon as she stepped out of the building, uh, a former neighbor recognized her and yelled, she's a Jew. And um, soldiers ran in her direction. She was right by the door of the building, turned around and ran into the building. And I can just imagine 
the dilemma she faced. She knew she couldn't run back into the apartment. They were right behind her. If she ran in, my mother and I would be found. So my 19-year-old aunt ran to the roof of the building and jumped. What? And that was how she died. Oh, my goodness. Um, my mother's older sister, Margit, actually survived. the. They were all transported to Auschwitz, as I said, and by cattle car. And Margit, her older sister, um, managed to survive uh, the selections. Now, the, the procedure, once you got to Auschwitz, was you lined up and um, anybody that was not capable of working was sent immediately to the gas chamber. So that meant old people, um, you know, people who were ill or crippled, they were sent directly to the gas chamber. The only ones who were sent to the barracks were the young people who could be of service to the Nazis, you know, working there. If um, a mother arrived um, to the front of the line uh, carrying a small child, they were immediately sent to the gas chamber because children were immediately gassed to death. Uh, if So if the mother was carrying a child, they would immediately just, you know, send them in, direct, in the direction of the gas chamber. Of course, Obviously, people did not know where they were going. They were just sent in one direction or the other. There were Jewish prisoners in Auschwitz who were forced to help unload the cattle cars and get everybody organized. And they knew what would, what would happen if a young mother arrived at the, got it to the front of the line, to the selection area, with a baby. So these prisoners tried to save the lives of the young women knowing that there was no way to save the lives of the children by just simply telling them very calmly that it was better to hand their children over to older people. It's better, you'll see the child later, but you know, right now you, you need to, you know, oh, you got, your mother is here, hand, hand your baby to your mother. So Margit and her sister-in-law, Clara, who was the mother of my little two-and-a-half-year-old cousin, Shushi, um, handed the three grandchildren, my the two little boys and little girl, to my grandmother. And so Margit was sent to the barracks, and I can't imagine what my grandmother's last moments must have been like in the gas chamber with those three babies. Um, so Margit, my Aunt Margit survived actually till the very end of the war. On the day of liberation, and I learned this, a lot of the information I got about what happened to my family was from the Red Cross. Is that when the war ended, um, the Red Cross had got a ton of information from documents and various other sources, and they were it was the Red Cross that provided a lot of information to the survivors about what happened to their families. And so, from Red Cross documents, we learned that. Um, my Aunt Margit survived till the very end. On the day of liberation, the, many of the Nazis that were in Auschwitz, instead of fleeing uh, to save themselves from the Allies, had been 
so indoctrinated that nothing was more important than killing Jews, they actually stayed while the Allies were actually coming in and were shooting and murdering Jews left and right. Um, and my Aunt Margaret, according to the documents I received, was murdered on the Day of Liberation. So, um, as I said, my mother and I were the sole survivors, and we survived because we were in Budapest um, of the Hungarian Jews that survived the Holocaust, almost all of them were in Budapest because the Nazis never really got the chance to transport the Budapest Jews to Auschwitz. So that's, that's the Holocaust part of my story. But as you alluded to, where I am today is amazing. And so to continue, I was raised obviously by my mother. Um, I had no extended family, no father, um, and, and for the most part in my childhood, no friends. My mother never recovered from losing her entire family, including her young husband. So she was a very, very disturbed and broken woman. Um, my childhood was very difficult. We moved around a lot. I went to nine different elementary schools. So obviously um, we were never in any neighborhood long enough for me to make friends. So I had no one to turn to for a reality check um, in terms of things that I was experiencing with my mother or just for even some respite from the life that I had. Um, I never had the opportunity to make close friends actually until I got into high school. So, um, so I was the product of my upbringing for 44 years. I was depressed. I was, um, I, I, I was a victim in my head. I was a, I was a victim of circumstances beyond my control and nothing, there was nothing in my life that made me happy. So when I was 44, and that was coincidentally, it was in 1988, which was also the same year that the miracle of my life happened beyond what I'm about to tell you. So it was two miracles in 1988. Um, but I was, you know, this is, um, this is supposed to be anonymous, but when I tell my story, I can't. I can't be anonymous. I was in a twelve-step program. Um, I had grown up uh, using food as a way to uh, soothe myself, so I was I was pretty overweight. I had joined um, Overeaters Anonymous, and I was I was in one of their meetings, and someone said something that just hit me like a bolt of lightning, and that was quote. I may not have any control over what's happening around me, but I have total control over what happens between my two ears, end quote. And by some miracle, that opened a window, and I, I saw things that I had never seen in my life, that just the realization that maybe, maybe I could change the way my brain worked, maybe I could find happiness. And so with the help of my friends, 
in Overeaters Anonymous, I um, just decided I was going to see if I could change the way I saw my life. Um, I started keeping a journal and um, writing a gratitude list every morning, forcing myself to find good things in my life. And uh, there were a lot of other other things involved. And when I do my in-person talks or Zoom talks and I open it up to questions, a lot of times, especially young people will ask me, you know, tell me everything you did because they can relate to some aspect of their own lives at that moment. So it took me about two years um, to realize that, um, that everything that was in my brain up until I was 44 was the result of my mother's perception of life. And I mentioned that in 1988, something else happened. And that was the year my granddaughter was born. Now, to think that she would even be in our lives was unthinkable at the time. Um, she was, she is the daughter of my youngest son, who at the time that he announced that his girlfriend was pregnant, he was 16. So he was 17 when she was born. And her mother could have easily just shut my husband and I out of their lives. They, she had no relationship with my son after that. We had other issues going on with him. But again, another miracle. She, um, she became like a daughter to me, my granddaughter's mother. And we became very close. And my granddaughter grew up a very big part of our lives. And um, see, this is, see, I can, I can tell you all about, I can tell you all about the Holocaust and not cry because I've been doing it for so many years. But when I talk about this part of my life, these are the happy tears that I have today. So um, she grew up a big part of our lives. And um, by the time she was two years old, I had, I think, pretty much completed my, my, my own transformation. And I knew how to be happy and I knew how to, you know, see the miracles in my life. And um, so we were very close. She grew up. She got married. She had three little boys. I have three great-grandsons. And six and a half years ago, we were all living in California. Six and a half years ago, um, her husband got this great job opportunity in Springfield, Missouri, and they moved. And I was devastated. She is our only grandchild. She is the light of my life. She's ever, she and her family are everything to us. So my husband and I um, started visiting. And um, about four years ago, we were visiting, and she and her husband sat us down and said, hey, Bubby and Zeta, those are the Yiddish words for grandma and grandpa. And incidentally, they're not Jewish. They are Christians. Um, but they celebrate our holidays with us, and they call us Bubby and Zeta. And they sat us down and said, hey, Bubby and Zeta, we, we want to take care of you. When you can't take care of yourself, please move here. <laughs> okay. Hmm. It's okay. Did. It's all right. I, what, what a fascinating <laughs> we, story. Uh, yeah. It, it, and here's the thing. It's so nice after everything you've been through in your life and everything that your family's been through 
in their lives and how this has all affected you that you can cry some happy tears because I'm sure it isn't easy. Yeah, it's it's a miracle that I can. I, you know, until until my mid-40s, I cried many, many, many tears and they were all of grief and, and anguish. And today I only cry from the joy of the day-to-day life I have. They live five minutes away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, they are here whenever we need them. We're there when they need us. I picked up uh, my youngest great-grandson from school the other day because my granddaughter didn't feel well. And I just thank God every day for what I have in my life today. And that's something that I was not capable of doing um, until I was in my mid-40s. I... Uh... I listen to your voice, and um, I hope someday that I have the opportunity to meet you because with what you're talking about now, uh, everything, uh, we we all, I mean, today, for example, (laughs) we all have things on our plates that we think are important, that we think matter, that uh, throw us off of our daily routines, and we get so sidetracked, it seems as though we allow these things to consume us. And when we look at the big picture, and we have someone like you as a guest on the program, I think it really minimizes the issues and the problems that we've had, because you've literally, for lack of a better term, you've been through hell. And and it's not just the hell of growing up in the Nazi ghetto in Hungary, it's the how could anyone in your position not be changed for the rest of their life? And how many people that were able to get through the Holocaust with this this constant feeling of, 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 of knowing how their, their family members were treated and some were killed? And you mentioned someone going to the top of a building and jumping off. I mean, how can that not change you forever? And how... You know, there are there there are various people out there, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, when we have issues, when we have problems in our lives with addiction or with marriage or various other things, we go and we talk to these people. I don't think there's really anyone out there, unless they've lived it, that can sit down and speak with someone like you. If you are going through issues and problems based on your experiences and knowing what happened to your family and the sacrifices that these people have made so that you are alive today. And, you know, as I said, you have so much joy in your heart based on the place where you are now with your family and the fact that you have grand grandchildren and great grandchildren. And, 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 and I mean, to you to be able to look back on where you started and where you are now, everything in your life, every day has got to be a blessing. Every day is something that you're thankful for because it could have certainly turned out quite a bit differently for you and and a lot of others. And so the need to get it off your chest, so to speak, and to to, to talk about the tears of joy, I think that is just so amazing that someone can have something like that based on everything that, you know, you've you've been through. Yeah, um, it's something, you know, my husband and I, um, he, he kind of, I won't say it, it's its a joke, but um, 
I say to him so often, um, like even the other day when I when my granddaughter called me to to pick up my my six year old great grandson from school when I got to that back to the house with him, I turned to my husband and I said, "Have I ever told you how happy I am to be here?" And he just smiles and he goes, "Honey, every day." <laughs> so um, it is. It is just, it's, it's, it's a miracle that I just still pinch myself. The, the transformation uh, that occurred when I think back to what my life was like up, up until that moment 40, when I was 44. I mean, I'm turning 79 next week. And um, so this is, you know, the second, it's, it's less than half my life. But uh, every day is a miracle, and I recognize every miracle, and it's just amazing. You sound wonderful, and you are in fine voice this morning. And I appreciate so much <laughs> the opportunity to be able to speak with you and for you to share your story with my listeners. And you're going to be 79 next week, and um, that's pretty amazing because I think there's um, – many things that could have prevented that from happening and, and just the overall depression and the things that you have gone through. But to be here and to talk about being able to cry tears of joy, I think that's, um, I think that's just incredible. And, and how you appreciate life and how you embrace it and how you want to share your story. And, and I think, again, that is so very important to share your story because people just, they don't understand. They just don't understand. We see documentaries or we watch uh, programs on TV that discuss the Holocaust. But unless you have lived it and know people who have lived it, and obviously you've lost family members, no one can truly wrap their head around just exactly what that time period meant. And for the way that a man chose to try and completely obliterate people because he didn't see their worth and how important they are. And to him, they were a hindrance, a nuisance. And and they weren't treated as people. They were treated, you know, I guess as the lowest form of life that you could possibly think of when it was put in those particular circumstances based on the person that uh, that initiated all of this. And um, for all the millions of people that lost their lives during the Holocaust. It is so good to know that there are some survivors and some people that can carry on and tell the story. And I hope that what people take away from this this morning and when you have your speaking engagements next week is the importance to remember and understand that there are people that are out there that are so evil and so diabolical as to want to commit genocide and, and do away with an entire civilization of people and their history and their importance. There were mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and so much that was involved in all of this to hear you tell the story and, and, and to try and keep it, you know, <laughs> within a half hour, 45 minutes because it's a radio program is just amazing. And, and I hope that, uh, again, people turn out uh, in, in huge numbers to hear what you have to say because this just the short time that we've been able to spend together. And I, I, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to join us here this morning. It is so very important. The history 
especially of the Holocaust, can never die, can never go away, because it's so important for people to understand that period in time. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and I just want to mention that um, next um, next Saturday, week from tomorrow, the uh, um, I'm, I'll be speaking at the Tanny Hills Community Library in Branson, and that will be a public event open to the public. And if anybody is interested, there's going to be an entire week of uh, events um, regarding the Holocaust, um, and if anybody is interested in the entire schedule, um, they, if they look up, if they're on Facebook or I think there might be a website also, the Anti-Semitism Education Center of the Ozarks um, is uh, the organization that's putting it all together and there'll be quite a few public events. Hmm. Uh, tomorrow, um, in Springfield, you'll be speaking at the Baked Bean, and then on uh, yes. Tuesday, the April April the eighteenth, which is actually Holocaust Remembrance Day, you'll be speaking in Branson at the Covenant Life Church. And uh, I have all of this information, right. and uh, when we conclude our interview, I will right. will pass this along. But I okay. again want to thank you so much for this opportunity, because you have no idea what it means to people to be able to hear the story. And as I said, I think the the history. Uh, the story, uh, I hope it never dies like so many innocent people did during the Holocaust. You're a very brave woman. And if you don't mind, may, may I ask you a question? You can ask me any question you want. Have you ever met any other survivors of the Holocaust? And if so, what was that experience like? Oh, yeah, I have. I've met many. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things I wanted to mention was that uh, every Holocaust survivor I've ever met has fallen into one of two ends of the spectrum. They were either, like my mother, um, totally in grief for the rest of their lives, or they are what I turned out to be, um, so joyously thankful to be alive, so aware of the miracle that they're alive that they do everything in their power to live their lives, you know, with joy and purpose. I've never met a Holocaust survivor who falls anywhere in the middle of that. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, my closest um, connection with Holocaust survivors, um, although I grew up in neighborhoods where there were many other survivors, um, a lot of places we moved to were... Jewish communities that had a lot of survivors. But uh, several years ago, I participated in the March of the Living uh, a couple of times. It's a worldwide organization that takes um, high school seniors and Holocaust survivors to Poland to visit the camps and to learn what happened. And uh, that was really my closest adult association with survivors. And the ones I met were incredibly courageous. They were on those trips to tell the stories, to teach the kids, um, to, for many of them who were young people or teenagers, uh, during the Holocaust, they had horrific memories. And to hear their stories, having experienced it firsthand, which I did not, um, I found amazing. They're 
they were they were truly the courageous people who actually saw it and saw the death of people they loved and um, and lived their lives with courage and joy today. It's amazing. It's amazing to sit here and speak with you this morning. And I just want to take this opportunity to say thank God and thank you for the opportunity. And it's it's been very, very, very interesting, of course, to hear you talk about all the things that you went through as a child and then certainly as an adult. And I hope that you continue to be able to cry tears of joy and enjoy time with your family. And uh, not everyone is as willing to speak about it, I'm sure, as you are. I'm sure there are people that uh, don't ever want to talk about it again after what they've gone through. But uh, your courage and your bravery and the ability to tell the story and tell it in such a way that we can always uh, understand and remember. I, I don't necessarily think we can ever understand it because unless we were there, we can't. But I do thank you so much for this opportunity, and I hope folks will uh, take the opportunity next week to do their research, and don't even wait till next week. Start researching it now. Remember it every day, and remember the people that uh, that died, but certainly those people, much like yourself, that have lived, and uh, I would encourage people to, to do whatever is necessary in order to learn more about uh, the Holocaust and if they ever get an opportunity to meet someone like you, that they sit down and talk with them if that person is willing to talk about it. So thank you so much for this opportunity, uh, Ms. Schwartz, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best for the rest of your life, and uh, happy 79th birthday early, and I hope, as I said early, earlier, that uh, people uh, come out and take the opportunity to see you when you speak on the 15th, which is tomorrow, again in Springfield at the Baked Bean, and then uh, on the Tuesday, Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, at the Covenant Life Church. He will be in Springfield tomorrow from 9.30 until 11.30, and in Branson on Tuesday from 10 until noon. And um, everyone needs to everyone needs to hear your story so we don't forget, and uh, certainly so we don't repeat our our past, but uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, I I, I I I just think people just get so bogged down with uh, what they've got going on in their lives that uh, maybe maybe it's tough for them. I don't know, but uh, uh, you've touched at least one person this morning, and I'm sure a, a whole uh, bunch of people that are listening. So, thank you very much for this opportunity. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And count your blessings every day. Yes, Stay there. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And uh, as I said, I hope people come out to hear you speak tomorrow and then on Tuesday. And then you said you're speaking the following uh, following Saturday, a week from tomorrow. And and would you mention again where that's going to be in the time, please? Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's Tanny Hills Community Library. Mm-hmm. T-A-N-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S in Branson. Yeah, Taney Hills Community Library in Branson. And that starts at 1030, and that's a a public event. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. I greatly appreciate it, and so do our listeners. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 847. It's pretty amazing when you think about 
everything that this woman has gone through and, and just not really being aware, being at, of such a young age and not really knowing a whole lot that was going on around her, but having to survive what what happened and having to, as you get older, obviously, I'm sure you probably want to know more and you want to find out just exactly uh, what happened with your family, with um, a lot of different people and a lot of different uh, things going on. And uh, I don't know what you say after something like that, other than I hope that we never, ever forget, absolutely never forget what is going what is going on in our world today, but certainly never, ever forget about uh, the history and certainly the things that, uh, and you will probably see more in the coming days and weeks, as is the case, as we get uh, closer to these sorts of uh, things, remembering uh, uh, the Holocaust and what uh, people went through. Just amazing. 8.48 is our time. And uh, I certainly wasn't going to do anything at all but let this uh, woman, Miss Erica Schwartz, speak and tell her story. And so uh, for those of you just joining us, uh, we did speak with Erica Schwartz. She is a living Holocaust survivor. And she is going to be speaking on behalf of the Concerned Women of America, uh, of Amer- uh, for America, rather, of Missouri. Uh, these prayer action chapter meetings, they'll have one in Springfield tomorrow, one in Branson on Tuesday in honor of Holocaust Education Week. And National Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming up this Tuesday, April the 18th. Uh, I want to thank Janet Dabbs for uh, setting this up and making this interview possible. Goes on to say, if there is any part of history that has forever touched my life and has been the study of the Holocaust, it is an atrocity we should never forget and a lesson we should teach our children and grandchildren. As part of our remembrance, I would invite you to join us in the uh, commemoration of the Holocaust during Holocaust Education and Awareness Week. And again, for those of you who uh, maybe got in on the tail tail end of things, uh, Erica Schwartz, was born in a Hungarian Nazi ghetto in 1944, one day before they closed this ghetto off. The Nazis closed this ghetto off. Of the entire family, Erika and her mother were the sole survivors of the Holocaust, and uh, she will recount the story of the murder of her entire family and how she was able to change her life from one of depression and anger to daily celebrations of gratitude and joy. Being alive today, how could you not, how could you not be grateful just to have the opportunity to see the things that she has seen after dealing with all that she has dealt with. When you think of the selflessness and the sacrifice that was made by her family members, her father escaping from a a work camp to come find her, to come see her after she was born, and then going back, going back to this camp because he knew he was being hunted, And he did not want to put his family in jeopardy. So he went back to this camp and ended up dying. Had another family member who climbed to the top of a building and jumped off the roof. In all seriousness, folks, I don't see how you could look at this and and, um, 
and just be changed by what you've heard this morning. So again, I encourage everyone to take the opportunity to uh, get out and see Miss Schwartz again tomorrow, April the 15th, 9.30 until 11.30 at the uh, Baked Bean. That is located on uh, 1860 or at 1860 North Commerce Road in Nixa down around the Springfield area. And then uh, on Tuesday, this Tuesday, April the 18th, from 10 until noon at the Covenant Life Church, uh, 120 North 3rd Street in Branson. They'll have a Branson Prayer Action Chapter meeting. If you uh, are at all, I guess, uh, interested in going, and you should be, uh, there are some contact numbers that I can put out here this morning. Uh, If you'd like to attend the event in Springfield, or Nixa, actually, uh, you can talk with uh, Tracy Dugan at uh, 417-766-2281, 417-766-2281. She also has an email address that you can uh, contact her at, and that is tdugan, T-D-O-U-G-A-N, T-D-O-U-G-A-N 1967 at outlook.com. And for the event in Branson, you can contact Haven Howard at 417-263-0425. And that will be on Tuesday the 18th at 417-263-0425. Or uh, the email address, Haven Howard, H-A-V-E-N-H-O-W-A-R-D-01 at gmail.com. Again, Haven Howard 01, as they say, all one word at gmail. A very amazing story. Thanks again to Janet Dabbs for setting that up. It is 8.53. It's almost tough to follow something like this, isn't it? So we will uh, stick with you here till the top of the hour. And, uh, of course, bring in uh, Dave Moffin in our second hour and talk about some things that have been going on here locally. But uh, just an amazing, amazing opportunity for folks to uh, learn more about the Holocaust and something that I think we should all spend some time learning about and certainly to make sure that our children learn about it as well. How could you not be changed? How can you not be uh, almost just uh, blown away by what these people went through? And I think it was the movie Band of Brothers that I was watching, or the the uh, series Band of Brothers that I was watching. And one day that they were going through, uh, going through a forest, and they could hear something off in the distance. And they kept uh, searching and searching. It was weird. It was almost like something that uh, grabbed them and pulled them towards the camp. And as they continued to make their way through the forest, and they came to a clearing, and in the clearing was this camp, and there were all of these. Jews that were in this uh, this particular camp and how when they saw each other how it was just totally devastating how it was just how these people were just blown away by the fact that there were people in camps that were forced to do the things that they were forced to do and those who basically didn't matter were sent to a gas chamber to die And you would almost have to think that these types of stories would reverberate from the camps to the people, that information 
would get back to some of these people and that when they were put in these boxcars and sent to these camps that they knew their fate. And so I guess at uh, some point you probably had to make a decision. Do you try and escape or do you just let this particular fate run its course? Some did, some didn't. Some were selfless in their acts in the way that they protected other family members, certainly children. I mean, my goodness, children that had absolutely no knowledge of what this was all about. They were just unfortunate uh, casualties in a lot of this. And a pregnant mother sent to a gas chamber. You just, uh, again, it is so hard to wrap your head around all of that. And that you you think that, um, I guess, again, sometimes we think that we have it so so bad and so horrible. Imagine being around during World War II in places where the Jews were literally rounded up like cattle and sent to camps to either work or die. Because one day someone made a decision that these people weren't worth their, their time, weren't worth any of the, the things that these people hold near and dear. Had no concern if they were mothers or fathers or sons or daughters. The goal was to exterminate and rid the world of, of Jews. And that's what uh, Hitler and the Nazis did. And so, so many people, millions and millions of people, I think most of us know the story, but to have an opportunity to actually talk with someone who wasn't extremely cognizant of their surroundings at the time, but as they grew older and found out uh, the sacrifices that their family members made, and to be able to say something to the effect of, today I cry tears of joy because I'm alive, I still have the stories and the memories, and I am able to share those memories. And I would say that at this point, you almost have to stop and make it a point to talk to someone who has been through all of this and to understand and realize from their point of view, because none of us can put it into perspective on our own. And even when you watch a documentary or a program about the Holocaust on TV, I still don't think you obviously get the true intensity of the situation and what it was like to live during that particular time, during that particular part of history and and endure and go through what these people went through. We were obviously set to talk with Stephanie Beeman this hour, but uh, I know Stephanie is uh, is uh, okay with the fact that we will probably reschedule our interview and talk more about what they've got coming up here shortly. But um, we will take our top-of-the-hour break, and when we return, we will bring in Dave Moppin and uh, talk about what's been going on here locally. But again, if you get a chance, if you get the opportunity, look up uh, Erica Schwartz. And Erica's first name is spelled to capital E-R-I-K-A, Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And uh, don't forget, uh, of course, National Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up this Tuesday, April the 18th. You are listening to The Daily Show on Key Radio. Business, government, religion. 
family issues, and more. Find it all right here on 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri. I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Friday, April 14th. There's good news for an Ozark amphibian, the hellbender. Missouri Conservation reports a zoo-raised hellbender has successfully reproduced within the current river for the first time. There are currently fewer than 1,000 Ozark hellbenders in the world, so conservationists say this is great news for the species. Local fire departments battled a more than 1,000-acre brush fire at Climax Springs Wednesday. The blaze took six fire departments and the Missouri Department of Conservation four hours to put out. No injuries were reported and no homes were damaged. The weather's heating up, and as summer returns, so do turtles. You may be seeing these slow-moving creatures on the road now, and Missouri Conservation's urging drivers to watch out for them. Many species of Missouri's turtles become more active during the spring as they emerge from their burrows and cross the roads in search of food and a mate. These crossings mean that, unfortunately, thousands of box turtles are killed every year by vehicles. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. A portion of the programming on Key Radio is brought to you by Adair's Wildlife Removal Service, offering affordable solutions for all of your residential and commercial nuisance animal problems. Adair's keeps the wildlife where it belongs, in the wild. Serving Camden, Miller, and Morgan Counties. Online at adairs-animals.com or call 573-378-8739, 573-378-8739. There is a saying that there is no free lunch, meaning there is a cost to everything, even when it appears to be free. Your free account on social media costs you invisible connections to companies trying to sell you stuff. So it is, even with Key Radio, because there are costs to bring you local programming, and we need your help to pay the bills. If you love our purpose, please donate. If you need to use advertising dollars, Key Radio can give you a promotional benefit of sponsorship underwriting. Key Radio features programs in every area of life, politics, business, family, entertainment, education, faith, and media. In Christian circles, we refer to this as the Seven Mountains. We don't relegate any of these subjects to once a week, and we seek content rooted in truth more than opinion. If you have a message to get across, contact Bill M. at OrionCenter.org to talk about how Key Radio can help. This is Bill Munhausen with a Key Opinion. We've just concluded an important milestone in the election cycle, so it's time for a debriefing. Aren't we all just a little relieved? For state and federal candidates, the primaries were unusually contentious. For example, there were no fewer than 21 people vying for Roy Blunt's old job, all within the Republican Party. For U.S. citizen voters, it was not what you'd call edifying, and regardless of who we supported, we're glad it's over. We observed big egos, campaign ads bordering on slander and manipulative messaging. We've come to expect this, particularly at the national level, and we expect it to continue as the two parties fight it out interminably. But we should feel differently about our local government. Although it was a contentious election here also, it's now time to pull together, 
because we've seen the enemy and they are not us. For too long, local government has been mostly about economic development and fixing potholes. Those are good things, but we also need to be unified in defending our freedoms locally. At a time when state and federal politicians are more concerned about their rights than ours, we can't afford the luxury of fighting among ourselves. I don't call for unity to dismiss the important contribution of local reformers in refueling things in local government that need to be corrected, but the voters have made their concerns known and have handed the responsibility of government to new leaders. We have a real opportunity in Camden County to make this clean slate a win for everyone. It's going to be hard for the men and women who competed for office or had to defend their positions and lost. It may even be harder yet for those who loyally supported them. Nevertheless, it's time to rise above for the sake of community. Lake of the Ozarks is a special place, an oasis of individuality and freedom that isn't enjoyed in other parts of the country. It can only remain so if we become more united in making local government as just as possible and as committed to keeping its citizens free. I'm Bill Munhausen for Orion Center Expo. It's hard for a Christian to be a Star Trek fan. Star Trek's foundational assumptions are that man is evolving to become more just and that he is the master of his own destiny. Furthermore, the Enterprise crew must never interfere with other species because no matter how bizarre, their beliefs and cultures are just as valid as our own. It's a noble but morally neutral vision. However, Gene Roddenberry didn't get it all wrong. Captain Kirk can't help weighing right and wrong. Even Spock overcomes mere logic and offers the standard blessing. Live long and prosper. There is much to admire in the Star Trek universe. What is missing for a Bible believer, however, is the obvious understanding that a directionless process like evolution can't nurture man toward nobility. A sounder explanation is that mankind is made in the image of a noble creator. These 60-second messages are based on the book XPO by Bill Munhausen, available in Amazon Books. like to become a content provider, simply contact the Lakes Community Radio Station at 89.3, The Key. It is 907. Thank you so much for joining us on The Daily Show here on Key Radio. 
And I will tell you that uh, we've got a nice lineup uh, headed your way next week, as some of the folks we'll be hearing from include Bill Cass on Monday. Hopefully, we'll get Tom Martin in here from the Canva County Republican Club on Monday as well. And I think we'll try and reschedule Stephanie Beeman from Firefly Valley Farms on Monday as well. Tuesday, we'll have Anne-Marie Bianchi in to continue her business spotlight. Also, David Stokes from the Show Me Institute is going to be at the lake. So he will actually be in the studio with us as opposed to uh, giving us a call on the phone. We've got uh, good folks lined up for you as well uh, on Wednesday. Beth Ann, if you've listened to Key Radio for... Uh, any amount of time, you know, we had added her program, CSC uh, Talk Radio, which is a conservative-based talk radio program. She is the host. Uh, her program is based out of California, and when I say California, California, Missouri. So she's just up the road from us, not too terribly far. She will join me in the 9 o'clock hour. Professor Jim Paisley will join me as well on Wednesday. We'll have Mindy Sales back in the studio with us next week. Also, uh, Dan Ellison will uh, be in with us, the educated redneck. And our uh, our good buddy, presiding commissioner, Ike Skelton, Camden County presiding commissioner, Ike Skelton will be in with us next week as well. So uh, a full compliment, uh, some great guests, and you may uh, have heard yesterday I was discussing an article uh, that was on Yahoo News, uh, The Insider, and uh, it had to do with Ike and the ATF, and of course uh, they held the news conference last week on the courthouse steps uh, about the ATF uh, contacting Camden County Planning and Zoning to get some information on some local gun shops. And Ike uh, was very adamant about the county not helping out the federal government, certainly the ATF, which uh, he feels is an unconstitutional organization, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. And... Uh, a lot of people said, well, it's retribution for what happened to your brother Jim when his gun shop was raided back in 2021. We know that to uh, not be true. As a matter of fact, when you look at the article, right there it says, uh, Ike Skelton, politician, 1933 to 2013. So that's obviously the wrong Ike Skelton. Yeah, that's, some that's definitely some hardcore journalism there. Yeah. Uh, Somebody was really doing their homework that day. I had a question about that, too, because it's interesting. When I Have read, you seen the article? Oh yeah, I've, I've read the story, and I've yeah. read a couple stories about it, and I saw the comments that came back from the ATF, and the ATF was basically saying that, hey, we're trying, they were acting like these were new businesses, mm -hmm. but I thought, I think these are already existing gun stores, if I understood. Like, these, these are, my impression was that these were people that already had their federal firearms licenses and were renewing them, mm -hmm. but they make it sound like these are brand new people who, oh, they're just trying to start businesses, and I didn't think that was the case. I think one of them was Pistols Plus, and uh, if that's true, Pistols Plus has been around uh, here for years. Yeah, because I think you have to, you might have to renew them every year. My dad used to have an FFL mm -hmm. uh, because he has a he has a really big gun collection, and. Uh, it got to be such a pain doing the renewal process every time that he finally just gave it up, just like what Ike's talking about. He just didn't want to have it anymore because they you got to go through this arduous... I mean, they come in and interview you and ask you all these questions. So my dad was like, do I have to renew this or can I just like 
I can sell the the few firearms I have that require this FFL. And the gal doing it was like super happy. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. Like they were excited to well, have You don't have to redo. do that. No. Yeah. We'll just cancel the license. And so that's one less thing for us to have to worry about. They just try to make it an arduous experience so people yeah. won't want to have those licenses. And that is certainly true in a lot of instances when somebody doesn't want you to do something, they find uh, more and more hurdles to throw in your way. That's right. 82 to high, 61 to low. For today, getting the weekend started off right, 63 now in Osage Beach. 81 with uh, thunderstorms possible as early as tomorrow afternoon and possibly continuing on into tomorrow night. Showers as uh, the rain and storms push through. They'll be bringing uh, that cold front through with it where we uh, would have uh, possibly some uh, morning showers on Sunday. Not a really good chance at this point, only about 30%, but only a high of 55 on Sunday. We'll bounce back nicely on Monday with sunshine and 68, partly cloudy and 78 on Tuesday, mostly cloudy, 77 on Wednesday. So uh, Dave Boppin got his yard mode in plenty of time to be able to enjoy the weekend, whether we get showers and thunderstorms or not. I'm going to be working on flower beds today. Uh, any special uh, events today? Is this National Styrofoam Appreciation Day? Uh, well, it's interesting that you bring that up. <laughs> Very interesting that you bring that up because uh, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Hit me with it. Hold on to the counter. It is National Ex-Spouse Day. Wow. That's not one that's celebrated a lot. National Ex-Spouse Day is a day to reflect on the positive moments you shared with your ex. <sighs> wah, 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 wah. And that's why <laughs> and that's why you're divorced, right? Because of those special moments you shared with your ex? Yeah, maybe it's you're celebrating the fact that you have an ex-spouse. Is that the idea? You're like, oh, thank goodness. I don't, you know, I'm... Yeah, I guess. That's one that I don't think a lot of people celebrate. So I don't know, know that too many ex-spouses will be calling each other up and saying, now you remember that time? Is there a card? Is there a card you can buy for this day? <laughs> I guess all you have to do is uh, call Hallmark yeah. or, or, or go to the Hallmark website and see if there's one for uh, ex-spouse day. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, so you can send your ex-spouse a, uh, a card. Uh-huh. Obviously, don't do it if you have some kind of no contact order or restraining order. Yeah, it's really. Not, we're not encouraging anyone to yeah. violate <laughs> Kind of Next thing court, you know, you've court, got the county court. sheriff knocking at your door. You're like, but it was ex-spouse day. Sure, sheriff's <laughs> deputies. Uh, yeah, they, they don't care. <laughs> they don't really care. Because more than likely, that's all it would take to uh, get your ex-spouse to call the, the cops right. on you. I mean, right. who knows if you're paying child support or alimony or, you know. Joint, joint custody. As uh, as uh, Eddie Murphy said, half your it. Yep. Um, well, that's an unusual one. Yeah. Well, you you had to ask. Yeah, kudos to the people who came up with those things. So that's it. Only well, and, and, and I know people, Dave, that uh, were married at one point. Things didn't work out. They got a divorce, but yet they're still friends or they have kids and they don't want to drag the kids through the mess. But uh, ex-spouse day is probably not one that uh, a whole lot of people celebrate. Yeah. Some I mean, do, some don't. I mean, I was but, always on breakups. You know, people are always like, well, you know, I just hope she's happy. And mm-hmm. I just, that's not me. No. I was always like, I hope that she regrets this for the rest of her life, and she always looks back on this relationship as the best thing that ever happened to her. That's my wish, generally, that the, my exes would be uh, unhappy and always regret the fact that we'd broken up. Well, and remember the uh, comments of guests. <laughs> 
on Key Radio are not necessarily those of the staff and management. Just my personal take on it. <laughs> you know, some people take it harder than others. Some say, you know, I wish that, uh, you know. Yeah, I want it to be. wish fixed. everything would work out for you or I wish you well or I hope things, you know, nope. kind of you, you figure it out or maybe nope. I wasn't the right choice and you. I, I want it to be a day filled with regret. <laughs> Again, the views expressed by the guests yeah, I'm just being honest. are not necessarily those. And and that's fine. You can be as honest, be as downright honest as you want to be. Hey, have you gotten a chance to talk at all about this uh, Air Force kid who leaked all these classified documents? I was just, I, I had heard some of the stuff that they were talking about, and I think more than anything else, I was just in awe of how a kid. And he's a kid. He looks like, I mean, yeah, he's 21, right? Yeah. But he looks like even younger. Right. Looks like a NASCAR driver. I thought it was kind of messed up. I mean, they had like a whole tactical team out there. I don't know if you saw the arrest, but they've got, he's in shorts and a T-shirt. But generally what happens is civilians, I guess, found out who he was before the investigation did. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe the New York Times went out to his house and interviewed him. And then the FBI raced out there to go arrest him. And uh, they brought like a whole SWAT team and everything. Oh, sure. And like, yeah. so they had the tactical truck and they're calling him back to the truck. He's wearing like T-shirt and shorts. And yeah. What, I, I was just watching him. Like, what has he done really to justify the use of this tactical response team? I don't necessarily think it was as much about the uh, the event itself as it was about how they just missed the boat entirely on all of this, and so maybe they were just trying to look good. But I mean, I think that yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's what they. It was all about appearances. Yeah, it was. It was all about. Yeah, we dropped the ball big time. Maybe we should make this look good. And and that kind of brings to, to light something else uh, when we were talking uh, with Chris uh, Burgard uh, about his, his, his movie Capital Punishment, and they found out various people were in Washington, D.C., in the Capitol building on January 6, 2021. And he has actual footage, I guess, that uh, people uh, had taken video of, and he was able to obtain some of that video for his documentary of these tactical vehicles going down the street to these people's homes, one of which was a 74-year-old woman. Right. And they busted the door. I I don't know if they busted the door down or exactly how they handled it, but I don't see the need for uh, tactical vehicles, tactical gear, and a bunch of gun-toting FBI agents uh, as far as a 74-year-old woman is concerned, unless she was standing on the front porch with maybe an AR and, and and could possibly be posing some sort of a threat. I, I really, you know, that's probably somebody's grandma that's standing on the front porch there. Right, and that's I guess that's my point where it's like this is not a crime that involved any kind of violence or firearms or anything like that. And, yeah, it just definitely looks like they're just trying to put on a big show. I mean, especially considered you just had a news crew out there interviewing him, so he's not, like, running around threatening people. He, he didn't take them hostage. He's basically waiting at home for them to come get him. I mean, and he knows they're coming at this right. point. That's yeah. right. The whole thing was just it was a big farce that they're – and, yeah, I'm sure they were doing a search warrant. I'm sure they did a search warrant on his house because they wanted to see if he has any documents, like stop-secret documents at home or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, this is basically – Sounds like he was showing off to his buddies and or like trying to impress them a little bit. And so he had access to these documents at work and he shared them on an Internet server with a bunch of friends of his. I mean, that's pretty much what happened. Are we are we really that backwards in this day and age? And and, and, and on top of it, the fact that people didn't even know he was putting these classified documents on social media. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, it's an access problem. I mean, he obviously should not have had access to those documents, but, you know, so now he's going to 
they're going to make an example of him, mm-hmm. and he's going to probably be sentenced to a bunch of time mm-hmm. uh, in federal system. Mm-hmm. And then if he wants to get out early, he just has to change his gender and pretend just like Chelsea Manning, and then he can pretend that he's a different gender, mm-hmm. and then they'll pardon him, and then he's free to go. I mean, that's basically what happened with Manning. Mm-hmm. He leaked all that stuff, and then he suddenly had his, his, uh, his gender change, and then I think Obama pardoned him at the end of it. So... That's it. That's the pathway to freedom in the federal system. Wow. Just make them feel bad for you. <sighs> I don't think life's that bad here at the Lake of the Ozarks. No, no, you? <laughs> yeah, I, I moved my lawn. You know, we go about our daily lives, and when somebody wants to step in and interfere, we just tell them, yeah, okay, do yeah. what you want to do. I don't have access. We're just to not going to help you. I don't have access to any classified documents. I'm good. Yeah. That I, that I know now, of. Now, here's an interesting question. Based on what you did in your days with the LAPD, and you know, you went from being an officer up to a detective, and, and how high on the chain did you get as far as what you did? Oh, like rank-wise? Well, rank and or, you know, when you decided you were done, right? where were you at? I mean, you were working for the district I attorney. Was a lieutenant, yeah, I was a lieutenant at the DA's office. Okay. Yeah. So at any point when you're career came to an end did they say well we need to sit down and debrief you a little bit and let you know uh you know what it is you can and can't talk about no I, you know it's interesting though, had to sign a paper when i was in the army i was an mp right. uh lieutenant uh got out as captain mm-hmm. uh, i had a secret clearance you to be an mp officer you had to have a secret clearance and then there were mps who had top secret clearances because they would guard like nuclear facilities or certain uh chemical weapons facilities, so you had to have top-secret clearances for those. Right. Uh, but, yeah, my, my clearance was just secret. Right. I, I think I applied to get a top-secret clearance once because I was going to work with an FBI task force, uh, but the FBI supervisor didn't like me, so he denied my clearance. <laughs> they wouldn't give me the security clearance because I didn't get along well with the FBI. A lot of people seem uh, to have that issue. I just wasn't impressed with them. I didn't think they were very good at their jobs. And so uh, when we would work together, I would mock them. I would sometimes insult them, make fun of them. For some reason, I don't see that. Yeah. I mean, they they were kind of like, I think I've talked about it a little bit, but they'd be like, one of the things we would do is we'd record. Mm -hmm. uh, Like when we did an entry, we would record the entry on a tape recorder. We had like a digital recorder. The FBI wasn't allowed to record. Mm -hmm. And so... I was always like, why can't you guys record? It's ridiculous. And so it got to where if we were on an operation with them, they would tell us not to record. And I, I realized later after watching some FBI agents do interviews that the reasons, one of the reasons why they don't, weren't allowed to record is they don't know how to interview people properly. So uh, we were doing an interview with an FBI agent and the FBI agent actually said to the, to the suspect, we can do this the easy way or we could do this the hard way. And we're like, no, 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 stop right here. There is no easy way or hard way. Right. We're just basically the idea is you can't uh, threaten someone or offer them some kind of deal that might make an innocent person want to confess. Like you can't say, look, if you tell us what happened, we're going to let you walk right out the door. But if you don't, we're going to arrest you and put you in jail. Well, even an innocent person might look at that and say, Okay, maybe I'll just say I did it because I want to walk. I don't mm. want to. I don't want to go to jail tonight. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing which which can screw up. So what the FBI would do is the FBI would do things like that, yet they would not write that they said that in their report. Oh, and so they would just say, "Hey, the guy confessed to it." Blah blah blah. And uh, because the problem is, once they start recording, 
then there's a record of what they said. Yes. So I think when the U.S. attorneys would listen to the FBI interviews on tape, they were horrified at what the agents were actually saying. Because an interview is a tricky thing. You can screw it up very quickly. Like, you know, if the suspect's like, uh, maybe, do you think I need an attorney? That's always a tough one when they're like, you know, you advise them of their rights, you know, mm-hmm. the right to an attorney, blah, 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 all that stuff. And, and we'd read that from a card. And the reason you read that from Verbatim. the card is, yeah, because... Uh, guys, there's guys who like to think they're cool and they're going to memorize it. Mm-hmm. But then the problem is you'll get on the stand and they'll say, did you advise him of his rights? And you're like, oh yeah, I did. And then they'll say, well, how did you do it? And you say, oh, well, I memorized it. They're like, okay, can you say the Miranda rights right now? Mm-hmm. And you, if you get it wrong, <laughs> then they're going to, they're going to be like, well, how do, so the, if you tell them you read it off a card, they, they're not going to make you read off the card. But like, so the person says, uh, Hey, uh, maybe I need an attorney. Like, and you have to say, well, I'm not an attorney and I can't give legal advice to Mm -hmm. you. It's up to you whether you want an attorney, you know, you can't tell them, no, you don't need an attorney or, you know I mean? Like these are things where it's careful because you can screw up the interview and have it, the entire interview be inadmissible by telling them, no, you don't need an attorney. You're fine. Just keep talking to us. Or if you screw something up really bad, they can throw the whole thing out. Right. Yeah. That's right. Right. So yeah, none of the interview will be allowed. And usually that you might've gotten a great confession. And then when they go back and listen to it, they're like, man, no, because again, it's how you write it up. So I have seen it where people have written interview reports and they leave out certain things. And then when someone actually listens to the tape later on, they're like, yeah, this is not good. Like this interview is not going to stand up. And if they do end up getting an attorney, the attorney's going to be all over that. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. In no time. But yeah. So things like that. That's what I started to run into with the FBI where I realized uh, they weren't particularly good. They were, they didn't have a lot of experience. Now some agents are experienced, but you had, we called them in LA, we called them uh, college kids with guns. That's what we called the FBI. I've heard that before from, from other folks as yeah. well. And so they just had no real street experience. So it was, it was almost dangerous to go out and work with them because they didn't know what they were doing. But they have this idea that they're really great. So it's, it's, there's a level of overconfidence, I think. Uh, and, you know, I had one agent who was, when he heard I recorded, he was like, well, you know, how do you uh, keep from cursing and stuff at the guy when you're talking to him during the interview? Like, I'm like, well, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you're recording it. So you just don't do it. It's like, okay, tough guy. Like, yeah, you're the big, bad interviewer. You're going to curse the guy out. I mean, mm-hmm. who cares? Even if you are, th- that still gets recorded. Like, it just, it was weird. Their, their whole attitude towards it was very strange. But the U.S. attorneys liked us being on the cases because we would record our interviews. Mm-hmm. And that was really good evidence, you know, that because here you go, you go to court. The guys, if you didn't record it, the guy's going to deny that he said what he said to you. He's going to be like, oh, the officer's lying. And then they'll say, oh, well, did you record the interview? And you're like, no. And they're like, why didn't you record the interview? So then the jury starts to be like, yeah, like it's pretty easy to record it. Like then the jury starts to suspect a little bit like, why didn't the officer record it? Like everyone has can record. So it's, it's just as better to have a recording of it. That's, that's it. What don't they want you to know? Did, did something get screwed up and now you don't have any kind of a record? Uh, and that goes both ways, not only to protect the interviewer, but to possibly protect the person that uh, is in trouble. Yeah, and sometimes I've had cases where the defense attorney's like, well, my client said that he never told that to you. And we're like, well, we have a recording of it. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, oh, well, my client. But then, then the defense attorney will listen to the recording. And then he's like, oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Like, because, yeah, your client's been lying to you the whole time about what happened. But we have an actual recording of what happened. So, but yeah, so the FBI was not 
I was not great fans. Like, I remember when I did my background, at one point the guy was like, we have a record that you damaged some cars while you were working for a task force in Maryland. I'm like, well, I never worked for the FBI before, so that's a different person that mm -hmm. you're investigating. He goes, well, and then he was like, at one point he was trying to find like a friend of mine, uh, and he's like, do you know where this guy lives? And I was like, I haven't talked to this guy, you know, because they, they go back and they try to find people who knew you. And I'm like, I haven't talked to that guy in like 20 years, so I have no idea where he lives. And he's right. like, well, I'm going to need that address. And I, I said, uh, isn't that what the I in FBI stands for? Like, don't you guys, can't you do some investigating? Investigating. <laughs> find, <laughs> find out where this guy is. Yeah, so they just weren't, they, I wasn't popping. They get on a roll and then Dave stops them dead in their tracks. Yeah. Isn't the I in FBI... Federal Bureau of Investigations, or investigating your investigation. It, 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 use any form of the word you want. It, it, it's investigate. Yeah, I mean, like I remember we were on a search warrant once, and we had a we found the purse of the, the suspect, and so we were going to search it. It was in the house, and I gave it to the FBI agent. She was going to search it, and then she handed it to the suspect, and the suspect walked away with it. I'm like. What did you just do that for? Like we were gonna search that. Now she has it. So now for us to get it back from her is you just complicated the whole situation by handing the piece of evidence to the suspect. What are you doing? Yeah, so they just weren't good. Oh mercy. Yeah, I mean they were they were honest, I think. I don't think they there were any integrity issues. They were just poorly they, trained. Yeah, they just don't they have no experience and like I said, overconfident. So now, in working with the FBI, were they all young agents in most cases? Did you have somebody who had some experience in there to kind of help these people from stepping into it? I mean, yeah, the best ones were the older ones. Yeah, well, of who course. had more experience, yeah. obviously, uh, but a lot of young agents, and also because when you're working in LA, that's kind of a starting spot for a lot of them. Like a lot of them go to the LA field office. Mm -hmm. I think when you're in a big city, you're going to see that when you go to smaller field offices, you know, those are more senior agents, maybe who've worked their way to being able to get out to a good assignment like that, like Austin, Texas or wherever they're working. So when you're in a big city, you're going to run into more, I think new agents who are just brand new coming out. So, well, on the other side of the bottom of the hour break, we'll actually get to uh, a couple of these. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy when he comes in and he tells these stories. I really do because it, you, 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 uh, you talk to us in a sense that, you know, we're, we're learning something. We figure something out. And I think that's important. But <laughs> we can talk about road petitions. <laughs> I can talk about those, too. We can talk about uh, Dave's blog, Among the Dogwoods, on the other side of the break. But it's interesting when you think about it that, you know, you have these people come out in the ways that they do with tactical gear and tactical vehicles. And, you know, they're going to kick in somebody's door. And the person is basically just, we know, they know that the FBI or somebody's coming for them. So they just sit there and wait. And then the FBI or whomever makes a huge uh, deal out of it, right? Like you know, they're taking a uh, uh, a person in custody that uh, could very well harm them. But then again, maybe you don't want to take any chances because you never truly know. And it, you know, I've, there's a there's a documentary on Netflix about Waco mm -hmm. that came out a couple, I think a month or two ago. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I mean, like I'm not a I'm not a Obviously, I was law enforcement, so it's a terrible situation in general, the whole Waco thing. But it's good to watch because you can actually – I was shocked 
at how the ATF acted during the Waco uh, siege. And I just, I didn't really know yeah. what, what had gone down. I knew kind of generally what had happened, but people should watch it because it really is eye-opening. On the other side of the break, we're back with more. The Gadfly, Dave Moppin in the studio with us, and we thank you for joining us on The Daily Show. Stacey Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Friday, April 14th. There's good news for an Ozark amphibian, the hellbender. Missouri Conservation reports a zoo-raised hellbender has successfully reproduced within the current river for the first time. There are currently fewer than 1,000 Ozark hellbenders in the world, so conservationists say this is great news for the species. Local fire departments battled a more than 1,000-acre brush fire at Climax Springs Wednesday. The blaze took six fire departments and the Missouri Department of Conservation four hours to put out. No injuries were reported and no homes were damaged. The weather's heating up, and as summer returns, so do turtles. You may be seeing these slow-moving creatures on the road now, and Missouri Conservation's urging drivers to watch out for them. Many species of Missouri's turtles become more active during the spring as they emerge from their burrows and cross the roads in search of food and a mate. These crossings mean that, unfortunately, thousands of box turtles are killed every year by vehicles. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake News, Boating, and the Lake Life, lakeexpo.com. A portion of the programming on Key Radio is brought to you by our media partners at Lake TV. If it's happening at the lake, it's happening on Lake TV. Lake TV brings you five local shows to let you know what's going on and help you get to know our area's movers and shakers. Lake TV also brings you live high school football and basketball and a weekly coaches show. Watch Lake TV on Como Channel 90 or absolutely free on Roku, Amazon Fire, and always streaming live at MyLakeTV.com. This is Bill Munhausen with a key opinion. We've just concluded an important milestone in the election cycle, so it's time for a debriefing. Aren't we all just a little relieved? For state and federal candidates, the primaries were unusually contentious. For example, there were no fewer than 21 people vying for Roy Blunt's old job, all within the Republican Party. For U.S. citizen voters, it was not what you'd call edifying, and regardless of who we supported, we're glad it's over. We observed big egos, campaign ads bordering on slander, and manipulative messaging. We've come to expect this, particularly at the national level, and we expect it to continue as the two parties fight it out interminably. But we should feel differently about our local government. Although it was a contentious election here also, it's now time to pull together, because we've seen the enemy, and they are not us. For too long, local government has been mostly about economic development and fixing potholes. Those are good things, but we also need to be unified in defending our freedoms locally. At a time when state and federal politicians are more concerned about their rights than ours, we can't afford the luxury of fighting among ourselves. I don't call for unity to dismiss the important contribution of local reformers in refueling things in local government that need to be corrected, but the voters have made their concerns known and have handed the responsibility of government to new leaders. We have a real opportunity in Camden County to make this clean slate a win for everyone. 
it's going to be hard for the men and women who competed for office or had to defend their positions and lost. It may even be harder yet for those who loyally supported them. Nevertheless, it's time to rise above for the sake of community. Lake of the Ozarks is a special place, an oasis of individuality and freedom that isn't enjoyed in other parts of the country. It can only remain so if we become more united in making local government as just as possible and as committed to keeping its citizens free. Join 89.3 The Key for the True History Professor program featuring Professor Jim Paisley. The national media now is kind of taking advantage of people. They hit you with a, you know, a big headline, and then they don't give you any information behind it. There's no context to it. Problem. And so what I'm going to try and do, uh, you know, on a weekly basis with the show is to try and share with you what, what were the events, what are the things behind the scenes here, what, what led to this. Professor Paisley takes a look back at history and how it relates to present day events. But we take it on face value without having any knowledge of why it well it's because the news told us join professor jim paisley thursdays and saturdays at 6 a.m 2 p.m and 10 p.m for the true history professor program on 89.3 the key this is bill munhausen for creation expo what does the bible say about leadership 1 Peter 5.3 puts it this way, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. The early church saw Roman conquerors leading by violence and the Pharisees leading by commandments, and they wanted no part of it. Worldly leaders lead by force. We see it in foreign dictators. We see it in international terrorism. Unfortunately, we see it in the wheeling and dealing of our own politicians. Biblical leaders, however, lead by doing right and encouraging others to join and follow. The question is what believers ought to believe. Jesus called his disciples to this new kind of leadership in Matthew 20:25, saying, You know that the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them, but it shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. These 60-second messages are based on the book XPO by Bill Munhausen. Available in Amazon Books. Key Radio wants to help our community by offering a platform for all groups and organizations to share their message. If you have a pre-recorded public service announcement talking about who you are and what you do, email it to kbsfree65 at gmail.com. Rotary clubs, veterans groups, animal shelters, fundraising organizations, and more are all welcome to send us their pre-recorded message. Key Radio reserves the right to deny or accept any PSAs received. If you've got a topic you'd like to share with the community, contact us right here at 89.3 The Key. It is 9.38. Thank you for joining us on The Daily Show. I hope you are set to have a great weekend. There's a lot going on. Big Bass Bash is in town, plus a number of other events, and uh, we're certainly glad to have everybody visiting. As the weather has improved greatly, uh, our visitors will start uh, showing up. And all I can say, folks, is uh, now is the perfect time to practice patience because you will see things on the roadways around here that uh, may make you scratch your head a little bit. 
uh, make you say some things that maybe you don't normally say around the kids. But all I can do at this point is ask you to be patient. Good morning, uh, Mayor Harmison. Good morning, Professor Paisley. Good morning, Don Barrett. Uh, Good morning, my old buddy Rich Clark uh, from St. Louis. Sean Kober is listening. Brian Hoover, David Thomas, and Joe Mirzois. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm going to have to just go home and start practicing that. But uh, those are some of the folks that we've had check in. We still have uh, a nice, uh, nice... Amount of uh, folks viewing us on the SRG Financial Advisors Key Radio in studio live camera. We've got a lot of folks listening to us uh, online. Uh, if you're listening on your uh, laptop or your uh, phone, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, or just tuning in on 89.3, Dave Moffat is with us. He is the gadfly. He is, um, I wouldn't necessarily say in charge. He has taken it upon himself. I don't know. He is in charge, <laughs> but. In charge of his own destiny is what he's in charge of. Self-employed. Self-employed. Taking it upon himself to head out to local Camden County Commission meetings as well as uh, School of the Osage School Board meetings and a number of other events. And he uh, brings those uh, events to his blog, Among the Dogwoods, or you can listen on Fridays here on Key Radio, and uh, Dave will give you a complete rundown of where he's been, who he's talked to, and what is being talked about and how it affects you as far as our community is concerned, so you did attend a couple of meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did. I, I get those. Uh, That's right. Those sent to me. So uh, I know you were at, at at least two meetings here recently. Let's talk a little bit about those. Yeah. So April 11th, they had a county commission meeting, and uh, a couple things came up at that one. It was, uh, I guess, they had a what's called a community block development grant, and so they had taken it out for Dry Hollow Road, mm-hmm. and so uh, they started the construction in March of 2022. And they finished it November 16th. Basically, they raised the road, and mm-hmm. then they paved the road. So uh, the problem is these grants require, like, so much paperwork and so much administrative work because it's, I guess it's federal money that comes through the state mm-hmm. that it's, it was debated whether or not it was even worth it to do the grants because you end up spending so much time on all the paperwork. It's so tedious that in the end it might be easy. Like renewing your FFL or getting an FFL. <laughs> yeah, it's just like anything you're doing with the federal government is going to be a big issue. Uh, but so they did finish it, and basically they had to have a a final public meeting to close out the project, and so mm-hmm. that's what this was. And it, uh, th- I think it was kind of handled by the Council of Local Governments, Lake of the Ozarks Council of Local Governments was the one, I think, that worked through the grant. And uh, that's it. So they got that done. Uh <laughs> Uh, they had then, then they had a bunch of road vacations from last meetings. You know, but people did the road petitions. They wanted their roads closed, and mm-hmm. so they can, they actually had the orders where they did it. Um, they had an appointment to the wastewater, uh, the wastewater board, and then oh, an interesting thing. So they had a, you know, those four little at Camden, Camdenton Square. Mm-hmm. There's those four little parking lots, those four quadrants. Right. So one of them's in front of the county courthouse. Yes, sir. So there was a discussion about paving it because it's in bad shape. Right. I mean, it looks pretty rough. I was there yesterday. And uh, it's yesterday, it, yeah. it's pretty much the the prime parking location for people who are going into the justice center. I mean, some people park around back, but yeah. mostly people who are going to the county courthouse are going to park in that front parking lot. And so uh, they got a bid for how much it was going to cost to repave it, and it came out to thirty-four thousand dollars. The city was not willing to to put any money in, and so this is there's a little explanation here. So it turns out the reason the city's not going to help pay for it is it doesn't belong to the city. Mm-hmm. People might might not realize it, but those four quadrants actually are MoDOT, and you wouldn't think that, but I guess it's because the fifty four 
comes through there. Maybe they have those in case one day they want to turn them into like, you know, right turn yields maybe that go on to that. So MoDOT has retained control of those four uh, parking lots and they're not going to put any money into like repaving them or anything like that. So it's up. So I think for the other ones, the city ends up footing the bill for repaving those. Um, the good news is that that $34,000 sounds like a lot, but if the county decides to do it when the city has their paving people come down, they would save money on, I guess it's called a mobilization cost. Like if you make them come down to this area and do it, you pay the cost for all that equipment coming down here. It's mm-hmm. like five, $6,000. But if you say, hey, can you do our lot while you come down and do this other work for Camdenton, you can save that money because the trucks are already down here and the guys are already down here doing the other paving work. They'll just put your project on, in with all the other ones. So I didn't know that. I had assumed that those were owned by the city. Because uh, there had even been talk of if the county's going to maintain that parking lot, maybe the city could deed it over to the county, and then it would just be a county parking lot. But it turns out it's mowed up. So there you, you go. You learn something every day. So I, I was not aware of. That. And the, so yeah, the city manager and the mayor had come in in the in the, in the, the a meeting two days later, and that's what they talked about because mm-hmm. they're familiar with it. Because I don't know if you saw that wall that they put up for the Camden. Apparently, that required like eight months of negotiation with MoDOT to get that per- permission to put that thing there. So, um, they're, so they're very aware. Eight months controls. of negotiation. Yes, yeah, so it was a lot. Uh, they had a contracted trucking bid awards. They had changed the bid language. Previously, I guess the bids weren't as explicit about what type of insurance you needed to carry, Mm -hmm. uh, like commercial insurance and that you needed uh, workers' comp and stuff like that. So they had put that into the bid. This changed the number of bidders on the project, which makes you concerned about who was driving for the county before, um, because you couldn't think of something that might be more liability for the county than to have a large truck hauling gravel that gets into a big accident with a bunch of people with injuries and then suddenly you find out that the contractor the county was using is underinsured and then that that will fall in the county's lap um so so they changed it and they basically uh were at this meeting they were said they were going to review all the bids and it turns out that uh they just accepted all six of them ultimately so this is this is basically both meetings um We talked about this one. There's still more correspondence coming in about people's late property taxes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people, uh, generally what happens is the assessor and collector will get complaints when they, when property taxes are late and people are charged late property tax fees, like penalties. Um, they, they, they generally can't waive them unless I believe it's your active duty military and you've deployed on active duty within the past six months. Mm -hmm or if there's some error by the assessor's office or like they didn't send out your bill or like, you know, whatever, there's a bunch of different things that, that they can waive for. Um, but otherwise if, if those things didn't happen, it goes to the commission. It can be referred to the commission. The commission can review it and decide whether they're going to waive the uh, late fees on the property tax. And we talked about this last time because I believe that, um, the commission should do that in some occasions because generally a lot of the people that we're seeing who are, who are first time residents in the County are happy to pay their property taxes. They don't like the late fees, especially if there was some mix up or they didn't understand. I guess when you buy the property from someone else, they're supposed to give you the property bill so that you can pay the property bill. Like when you take over a house from mm-hmm. someone, they're supposed to, but some people just get it and they throw it away. The, the seller will be like, 
oh, I don't need this anymore. They don't turn it over to the buyer when they get it. Or when the bill comes a couple months after they sell the property, they don't try to make contact with the buyer and give the buyer that property tax bill. They just chuck it in the, in the garden. Not my problem anymore. Right, yeah, I don't own the house, so why do I care? So that's a problem because then the buyer isn't sure what the property taxes are or when they're due or, you know, it's just can, it can be a problem. So my opinion is if you're a, if you just moved to Camden County, I think it's reasonable that the commission would say, okay, we will waive the late fees for this because you just moved here. You're a new resident. You're not trying to deliberately avoid paying your property taxes. Now, if someone hasn't paid in like six years, yeah, we're not going to waive those. Or if they, you know, this is their third year living in the county. But I think you could make an exception where you said, okay, you know, you just got here. Like we talked about you don't want their first experience with the county to be this really negative experience yeah, when they right. get this late. Yeah, right. No, I got you. And the, it's not like the county's incurred any extra cost by the fact that the, the property tax is, is late. I mean, so the late notice goes out, and the person gets it, and immediately they come in and say, oh, I want to pay these property taxes. And they're like, great, now you got to pay an extra $500. And, yeah, that's just not going to leave a good taste in anybody's mouth. I don't think so. But... The opinion of the most county, uh, the elected officials is generally that, hey, you know, it's their responsibility to pay their property taxes. It's their responsibility to make sure that they know how much they owe. You know, they should be proactive about it. And if you didn't get a property tax bill, you should contact the county and find out what's going on with your property tax. You would think. So uh, another thing they're looking at is um, uh, they, they had a. The phone system, I guess, for Camden County is really bad, terrible. Um, some of the offices, they sit there, they sat there for a couple of days, maybe even a week, not getting any phone calls. Meanwhile, people have been calling the offices and not, no one's answering the phone uh, because there's some screw up with the phone systems. So people will try to call and say, just as an example, to get in touch with the tax assessor's office. And it's ringing and ringing, or it's going to voicemail. Meanwhile, the people at the tax assessor's office are sitting there wondering why no one's calling because the calls aren't coming through on the system. So uh, they're 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 trying to find a new provider to basically give them a new phone system, which might improve that because that's obviously not how you want your phones to work. There are some developments also. I don't know if you've heard about this. Have you heard about this place out in Lynn Creek where they're doing the 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 company? I think it's called uh, One Source was doing some quarry work, quarry, quarry, quarry work. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy basically said they were going to build townhouses, so he was clearing, he was going to do a bunch of uh, excavation. And then he started, he brought, then he started actually almost, almost quarrying gravel. And now there's some issues about, basically it's coming out to where um, the AG's office is going to file an injunction because they're, they're saying there was some blasting going on without a permit, so we might see that come up in the next week or so. Okay. So because it's kind of turned, the, the neighbors have been upset because initially the guy said he was doing it to clear room for condos right. or townhouses because uh -huh. it's R3. Then it looks like he's operating a quarry over there, and now it looks like he's operating a mining operation because basically it becomes mining, I think, when you start shipping stuff off the property. Like So who knows? We'll see what's going on with that. Like I said, it's more that. Blasting without a permit. Yeah, you're supposed to get a permit. You, obviously, you're supposed to have permits to blast, and it, it appears that there was no permit. Because I, I think that will almost fall under the same kind of a situation where I don't know that the county would be held responsible or the city would be held responsible, but if somebody's out there blowing things up or blasting without a permit and something happens, uh, something flies off into somebody's house or goes through a window or somebody gets injured or, you know, who knows, 
then, uh, yeah, there's, there's that small uh, matter of liability. Well, and zoned residential. <laughs> well, there you go. And well, there you go. Well, and that's that's been the problem because people got upset about it. Obviously, neighbors aren't happy. And so um, at first, I think their complaints were kind of poo-pooed, like, oh, big deal, you know, just deal with it. But, like, it turns out, no, there's actually something going on there that might be an issue. So we'll see. we'll see more in the next week or so what comes out about that thing. Let's see. What else do we got? Oh, so another thing that came up is uh, I don't know how the county survived uh, in in the past five, six years because the sheriffs, we've talked before about the sheriffs are about to go digital with mm-hmm. their 911 system. And so all the radios, everyone's buying the digital radios. They're going from analog to digital. And it's going to be so much better. Turns out that um, the Internet service for the sheriff's office is not sufficient to run the 911 system that they're about to install. So here they were going to go live next week. They've had to put it a halt on it. So now everyone's waiting because you're talking like, uh, you know, Sunrise Beach, Lynn Creek, Camdenton. These departments were going to go digital. Everyone was going to go turn the, flick the thing at the same time. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to go digital. Right. But now their concern is, can the 911 system handle it based on the, the you know, the, whatever the stream, like how many, how many gigabytes of data they can get in. Right, it's all right. going to be computerized. So, mm-hmm. uh, the sheriff's office was understandably concerned that if they click the switch right before things are start to get busy during yeah. the summertime, oh, suddenly you're, you're not going to be able to get 911 calls or it's like, it's kind of one of these deals where they're like, okay, it's not going to run optimally if you don't have this much of a stream going. And so when you, when you ask like, well, what does that actually mean? They're like, well, I just, I mean, it could mean a lot of different things. It's just not going to run as well as it could. And so it's probably something you don't want to mess with when it comes to 911. Right. Certainly if there's an emergency situation, uh somebody needs help, you don't want to have uh these busy signal the cracks or hanging up on you or not even getting through at all. Right. Or like maybe you can't hear the messages, you know, it's like like bad bad service. So uh they're going to wait on it and they're going to try to so basically they have to upgrade their their internet. So it makes sense. So and the other thing you need is the interesting thing is you don't just need one internet service provider. You actually need two because you need a backup. Backup, right. So the the unfortunate thing is you end up paying uh, for heavy data loads for both because you can't afford to have one. Oh, we're going to our backup. Oh, well, it doesn't work really well. But like, so they both have to work. And you obviously can't have the same one because if it goes down, then you would lose that and your backup. So you have to have two different providers. So they're going to look at that. That's obviously a priority because they've invested uh, I think local law enforcement has vested at least probably over a million dollars in trying to go into this. When you bring that up, it just, it for some strange reason, it made me think that if something were to happen and we were to have uh, some major catastrophe that took down the electrical grid, even if you had a backup, what would you do? Um, because I would imagine as soon as it hit the fan, uh, all of these law enforcement uh, agencies would be hit with a myriad of calls, and how in the world would you be able to handle all of that? Do you have a backup generator? I mean, uh, gee whiz, I, I, I'm kind of curious as to what uh, what it is. I mean, it's, and, and you obviously have to have some contingency plans in place. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Well, yeah, I mean, generators, and you could set up a, a command post where you can dispatch units from it probably we've got a phone call okay let's take a phone call caller good morning you are on the daily show uh, what's up hey i appreciate you taking my call should i just get right to my point please 
I think many people in this country are dealing with the fact that they used to be a big, famous politician, but now they are basically rancid milk poured into a big suit, and nobody respects them anymore. And they have issues with crapping their pants, and the smell is so bad that even after they wash their underoos three times, mm -hmm. people still avoid sitting next to them at a restaurant due to the pooty smell. Well, thank you for that. That was uh, very informative. Okay, full disclosure, I used to have a job in government, and I have a family member that is currently in government. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have any advice to give someone if their giant son once tortured and killed a dog, and then the person has to walk around and even be on TV sometimes with everyone knowing how their son is a dog killer. That I can't answer. I'm not, uh, I don't have that, uh, I don't have that uh, depth of experience that uh, you're looking to, but I do appreciate your phone call this morning as uh, i'm sure dave does as well yes. but uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking the opportunity to enlighten us with that right and uh, my goodness uh, I, i'll tell you what we will work on that for you i i will be busy over the weekend seeing uh, the uh, the depth to which i can uh, get into as far as uh, dealing with that particular issue i but, feel like that guy was going to enroll me in obamacare was that one of those things where they do the <laughs> they have the calls Next thing you know, <laughs> hey, it's Obamacare. It's like that. I always, I always hate it when they catch me with that. Where they're like, "Hi there," and I'm like, "Oh, hey," and they're like, and then it goes it into just, the recording. You, you get sucked into this recorded call. <laughs> you feel like an idiot. I don't know that that was necessarily recorded, but uh, oh, I think so. I would say that uh, that was just either that or very. I mean, I hate to say anything about a listener, but very wonderful. That that's, was that was interesting. That's why we're here. We we want to make sure all opinions are covered. That's right. Robotic or otherwise. Got to do what you got to do, man. All right. I was worried it was going to be a retired FBI agent who was going to call up. You know, I was kind of wondering that same thing because... Uh, there are some out here. That was uh, a, a 208 area code. So, But if you're a retired FBI agent and mm -hmm. you live out here, you're probably one of the guys who was a good agent. You're, you're old school. It's the new generation that's the problem. Yeah, this is a retirement area, isn't it? Right, yeah. yeah. So they'd be older agents. I'm not talking about you guys. Nice save, Dave. So don't come yell at me at Baxter's or something if you see me over there. Yeah. <laughs> I worked 30 years in the FBI. and Yeah, I know. Everybody did a good job. All right. So I thought we uh, probably need to pick up where we left off there. Yeah. Uh, what, what were we talking about? I think we were talking about uh, somebody in a quarry blasting. No, we were talking about the uh, 911 Oh yeah, so system. Uh, right. So they, I'm sure they do have some kind of backup where they can go and 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 you know set up a command post and maybe out of EMA, mm -hmm. probably emergency management. They can do that. There's got to be some kind of contingency plan for that. Absolutely, absolutely. And then they run off generators. And I mean, that's the nice thing about radios. The cars radios they charge based on the battery, and right. then you have a generator run in the dispatch center. And so yeah, you can you can do it. You're not going to have all the fancy stuff. Uh, one of the things though they said about the digital radios is the range has been fantastic. So as they've tested them out. Um, they were able to talk to someone in Kansas City on their radio, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty remarkable considering the range from Camdenton to Kansas City. And so when you're, when you're talking about a county like Camden County where there's all these hollows and ridges and low areas and high areas, uh, you know, radio can be difficult because, you know, you've got all this tough terrain. But it seems like this system is... Is, has good communication. That's that's the really important thing. I mean, it's well, safety. Well, it, it makes sense to have all your ducks in a row before you venture out and uh, and rely on this thing because, as I said, you never know what can happen. And as long as you got your bases covered, that's really the uh, 
uh, the best part of the whole situation because uh, when somebody needs uh, help, whatever that help may be, you want to be able to answer the call. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, when you're working on a project like this, something like this, it, you know, for example, you you might you're a deputy like mm-hmm. or me. I'm law enforcement, so. I was law enforcement. So when I have to do a project, a big technical project, like, hey, I have to set up this dispatch center, that's really not my strong point. You know, I didn't go to the police academy to get taught about how to establish radio communication systems and all this other stuff. So it is difficult to manage these types of projects when, you know, it's not really your background, you know. So it's good for them. I think they made a good decision holding off. Let's make sure that we got it working exactly the way we need to. Mm -hmm. It is probably annoying that Motorola didn't mention this until right before they were about to set up the system. Well, the good news is, is even though uh, it happened the way it happened, better late than never. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Dave Moppin, thank you, sir, for your time. Appreciate it. All right, yeah. And now you've got uh, something to uh, to talk about in your blog about getting a random call from somebody talking about whatever they're <laughs> trying to sign us up for Obamacare. <laughs> It is 9.59, folks, and we are out the door. I want to thank you so much for tuning in this morning and let you know that the Missouri Liberty Report with John Williams is coming up next. And I will be back in your ears on Monday morning. We will talk with Tom Martin from the Camden County Republican Club, also Bill Cast from SRG Financial Advisors, and who knows who else may show up on the program. 89.3 KEYK Osage Beach, Missouri. Have a great weekend.